In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you to all. Welcome to the Voice of Islam show with, with Monday's edition and where we explore the beauty of Islam and its teaching. I'm your host Imran Akram and today in the first hour we'll be talking about why hate crime is on rise and especially the religious hate crime and what are the causes and what is the religious perspective of the hate crime and what is the solution we'll be talking about this topic with our guests and also taking their opinion. You can always call us and give your opinion on this topic. And the number is 020-86-87787. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So, in a world where we live today that provides itself on diversity and acceptance, it is disheartening to witness the persistence prevalence of religious hate crime. Now, religion, a fundamental prospect of human culture, and identity has been both a source of solace and conflict throughout the history. While many turn to their faith for guidance and a sense of purpose, others have yielded religious differences as a weapon of prejudice and division. Now, according to a survey um, based on UK newspaper, the number of faith-based hate crimes was 8,730 in 2021 and 2022, an increase of 37% from last year. And according to a Sky News article posted on 5th of October 2023, Muslims were the most targeted group, according, accounting for 39% of offences followed by Jewish people who were the victim of 17% of offences. Now, the article also mentioned that Christians accounted for 7%, followed by Hindus and Sikhs, both at 3%. Now, the Holy Quran teaches Muslims to respect people of other faith. For example, it says there should be no compulsion in religion. This is verse 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 257. 
If we look towards the history of Islam, for example, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in his time, he, when he was a leader of Medina, when he established his government there, he also signed the Charter of Medina with Jewish pagans and Christians who were living side by side with Muslims. And in that charter, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, give religious freedom to every religion, whether a Jew, a Christian or a pagan. And they were free to practice their religion. Now, another example which we can find in the life of the Holy Prophet was on the day of uh, Hajjatul Vida, his last Friday sermon, he spoke about that every human being is equal in the eyes of Allah Ta'ala. He stated, All mankind is from Adam and Eve. An Arab has no superiority over a non-Arab. And a non-Arab has, an, an, an non has no superiority over an Arab. Also, a white has no superiority over a black. Nor a black has any superiority over a white, except by piety and good action. Now, this verse is, which is taken from chapter 2, verse 257, that there is no compulsion in the religion. This verse emphasizes that everyone has a right to, to describe or to act upon their, their belief. And it is not the place of individuals to impose their faith on others. Islamic teachings emphasize the importance of justice for all. Muslims are encouraged to stand up against injustice and oppression. And Muslims are encouraged to stand up against justice and oppression, including religious hate crimes. In Surah Nisa, chapter 4, verse 136, Allah the Almighty says, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witnesses for Allah, even though it is be against yourself or against parents and kindred. Whether he be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not low desire, so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. So, to talk more about on this topic, we have our first guest uh, from Spain, Imam Khalid Gonzalez. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, Imam Khalid. Wa alaikum salam, Imran Sahib, how are you? Good, alhamdulillah. Uh, it's good to hear you and uh, to talk with you. Um, so, as we are talking about the, the subject, hate crime, especially the religious hate crime, why do you think we are witnessing an increase in hate crime, including those involving religious or racial motives in various parts of the world? I mean, I think there are there are a few points. I would say, number one, there are people who are thrill-seeking. You know, there are always people who are looking for looking for a problem. Then we have those who are who act in retaliation. Mm -hmm. Okay. We have those who are who act through defence, and those who are mission offenders. Mm -hmm. So this is this is something that the FBI have put forward. You know, uh, this is their kind of analysis of why there were hate crimes. They say that the thrill seekers, they will they have an itch for excitement, and you can just imagine maybe if uh, a few 
maybe some people who who have who have just come out from the bar have had a few drinks, mm-hmm. and that's their way of releasing, uh, you know, their adrenaline or whatever. Um, but more seriously, we have those who, for example, who are who act in defence, and of course, this isn't a justification. Rather, this is a this is a lack of understanding. You know, mm-hmm. if there is an integration, then you know, with that certain racial group, that ethnic group, that that group of people who are, you know, have a different sexual orientation, then what happens is you all lack understanding. You won't mm-hmm. understand them, what kind of people they are. Mm-hmm. And so this turns into, you know, they explain it as a, a, a type of fear, which then leads to hate and then indignation. Mm-hmm. So they start off fearing something which they don't understand because they don't understand it. And that moves on forward to hatred anger and then that moves towards indignation retaliatory or retaliation is the type of hate crimes which are born of of someone who stands up for his own nation or his own group ethnic uh, i'm not talking about minorities i'm talking about people who are who are the majority for example in america after the 9-11 attacks they said that the the attack or hate crimes against Arabs and Muslims rose by one thousand six hundred percent. Wow! And so this, they say, a similar spike occurred in Paris in the attacks of two thousand fifteen. Mm-hmm. So what this is is a is a kind of a retaliation uh, mm-hmm. crime, a hate crime, but through retaliation, they they see something happening, right? And they're being misinformed by the news and the media, mm-hmm. and that is really the the true instigator in all of this. And then they do this kind of uh, this, this kind of hate crimes, and they and they mm-hmm. try and retaliate. So these are the these are the main reasons why that, that we're seeing so much. And obviously, the I would say the the, the strongest the strongest um, uh, point of all of this is mm-hmm. is when you have a lack of understanding, and that you know we have we have very few people who who try and learn. Um, you know, try and learn about the the cultures, the religious uh, values of others, and then this can turn into hate. Definitely, I, I mean, uh, definitely. I think you, I think you're talking about like people became impatient as well sometime, and when they don't know other people' perspective, and when you don't know the other, you know, uh, the religious perspective or what their religion taught, then you tend to generalize people that you know, uh, like uh, those people who are, you know. Uh, did you know something wrong to the people? You just tend to generalize course, the people. Of course, stereotypes. Because mm. like when I'm here in Spain and, and I speak to these guys, and and mm. and, uh, I mean, I've, I'm half Spanish as well, so okay. I, I do understand them. But but honestly, it can't be justified. You speak to some of them, and they they have the wildest, wildest imaginations regarding Muslims. And wow. I say, to them, listen, like where did you get this idea from? Did you just listen to your Muslim friends? And I told them, look, we have two enemies. You know, I say this in a very mm-hmm. you should like the, read between the lines you know kind of thing don't just take it literally for what i'm saying i say i have two enemies the muslims and the media why because innocently and sometimes not so innocently there are muslims who they hear something from their from their granddad from their parents from their friends about islam mm-hmm. which has got nothing to do with islam right. a lady asked me hey um you know i have a friend she wants to become a lawyer right mm-hmm. and she's very upset she's crying she can't become a lawyer i said why can she not become a lawyer mm-hmm. her mum her muslim mum said that you can't become a lawyer because only god can judge <laughs> you know where are these things coming from who is mm-hmm. teaching these things you know and the muslims are giving the worst image you know it's not all muslims some muslims especially mm-hmm. here in spain mm-hmm. are giving such a bad image of islam and so mm-hmm. then obviously but on the other hand 
on the other hand, you know, we have people who are non-Muslim, mm-hmm. like my grandparents mm-hmm. and my auntie, and they have this very negative view of Islam because they don't they don't take the time out and actually try and find the truth of the matter and find out what Muslims really believe and why they believe them. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I mean, uh, these so-called Muslim who basically say that you know. Uh, we belong to is- Islam, we know the teaching of Islam, but in actuality they don't know what Islam preach. Islam is basically a peace definitely. and or, or d- definitely a, f- a freedom. Uh, it gives freedom to act upon whatever one wants. No. If one is facing, uh, you know, this religious hate crime, how does one draw strength and reliance from Islamic faith and, uh, you know, spirituality when facing hate crime or discrimination? I think, uh, Hazur, our spiritual leader, Khalifa al-Masih, the spiritual, you know, our caliph, mm-hmm. the global caliph leader of the Ahmadi community, he puts it very simply. How does he make it, how do we, as Ahmadi Muslims, gain strength from, from our Islamic faith? Well, through integration. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, he keeps on reminding us to, to, to keep firm as a community, be united. Mm-hmm. And in, in being united, you've, we're, we're naturally we have this we have this these traits and one of our human traits is to feel strength and empowerment in number. Mm-hmm. So when you go to a a local meeting or you go to the mosque and you feel and you see that there are many Ahmadis just like you, maybe same age, maybe different age, maybe same gender, different gender, right? Mm-hmm. You feel a sense of of belonging. It gives you a lot of strength and empowerment in what you believe. You realize you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. You know. And of course, there are some people who who do live a bit further further away from 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 local communities, local jamaats. But then again, there are national events, there are regional events that you can go to and attend to. When you mm-hmm. speak to your 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 people who are like you, you know, then then naturally you gain a lot of strength and empowerment, and you know, knowing that you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. And then through that, of course, then you can look at. The, the best, the best of best examples, which is the example of the noble messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Muhammad, and what he went through. I mean, he went through all types of hate crimes. You know, right. the Quran makes it very clear what kind of relationship he had with his followers, and that was not just of a of like it was beyond the love that a mother would have for her child. Mm-hmm. And Allah makes that very clear in the Quran. And so, having that kind of love for his followers. Well, keeping that in mind, he had to he had to tolerate and bear, you know, not just the passing away of 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 his wife through a boycott, his uncle, mm-hmm. you know, uh, many many uh, women were teared apart, you know, split mm-hmm. in half, tying one each leg of the woman to mm-hmm. to different camels, and then those camels would walk in different on opposite directions. Later on, there were private parts which were impaled with 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 like you know sharp sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, Weapons. Mm-hmm. Point of all of this is that I'm saying hate crimes have hate crimes have, have existed for for millennia, for, for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Then how did, how did the most influential man in 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 human history how did he react? Mm-hmm. Well, we if we look at how, how a bit of his history, you know, I urge people who are who are you know in their teens especially to look at, look at study a bit his history, see how he reacted to all of that, and then you can see how. Those few people became over two, or around two billion Muslims in the world today, mm-hmm. and that is what gives. That's where we gain our strength from. That's where we get our power from, through following in the steps of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right, right. I mean, uh, yeah, definitely. If we look towards the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he faced thirteen years of persecution in Mecca, in his own, you know, birth town, and then he migrated to Medina, you know, 
and then you know the, the people uh, who are opposing Islam they they continue to oppose him and they continue to uh, to, to continue to war against Islam but I think it, it was his uh, through prayers and it was his moral conduct and belief in God and that um, I think the one of uh, the belief in God is basically is reason that you know he he drive inspiration from and um, the help definitely, of Allah. Definitely. Yeah. I think I think people need to to start valuing these things a bit more because mm. because I feel like people don't understand the power of 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 religion sometimes mm-hmm. they don't they think that it's something which is you know like a a side thing not so important and and everything else is what what gives you power mm-hmm. god at the end of the day is who gives power and that's why the muslims now our number are two billion and that started off with mm-hmm. with one man who didn't even know how to read or write so i feel like if you really want to know how to you know gain some confidence in your beliefs mm-hmm. confidence in your identity as a muslim then the first thing you can do is trace your steps back and mm-hmm. uh, look at the life of the holy prophet sallallahu and also the life of the promised messiah definitely yeah so how can communities and you know authorities effectively address hate crime involving children in the islamic world with a focus on rehabilitation and uh, prevention i mean our community alhamdulillah you know um, is at the forefront of this we just had a we just had an event prayers for peace mm-hmm. and hazur is trying to not trying to is you know he's showing the political world how to be effective in rehabilitating and preventing such, such uh, the cause for such crimes. So what you do is essentially you, you gather a lot of people and you can do that in any social circle. You can do that at any social level. You can do that with friends, with family, in your schools, projects. Um, it could even be a topic that you, you speak of, you know. Mm-hmm. Main thing is awareness, and that's what Hazrat was doing. He did it on a bigger level. If you feel you can't do it on such a grand, grand level, then at least, you know, so I know you asked for what, what communities can do, mm-hmm. but I think it's even more more importantly, I think it's people at a, on an indi- uh, you know individual level mm-hmm. should know what they can do, and that is making aware, you know, making people aware of the situation. And how do you do that? Well, integration. Hazud has, you know, our Khalifa, he's been saying to our community to integrate, and he'd been saying this for years. Mm-hmm. Integrate within. The, the communities within, within the country you live in not just so that you can have more friends no mm-hmm. so they can people can see through your through your actions that oh you know muslims are actually not that bad mm-hmm. in the mosque in basharat mosque in spain right. in cordoba Pedrobad, over there people i mean i interviewed them as well when they came for an event once at the mosque mm-hmm. last year and they and and they were somewhat elderly somewhat younger they were so happy. They said that these Muslims are amazing. They're be- she, you know, one of the ladies said they're, they're much better than us. You know, people speak so bad about mm-hmm. the Muslims, but these people are so much better than us. Mm-hmm. They're so far uh, ahead of us in, in mm-hmm. kindness. Mm-hmm. And, and we've never had a problem with them, with the mosque here. And, and they were so happy. But why? That's integration. Mm-hmm. So I think not, not only on an individual level, but also communities and authorities, if, if they, you know, try and find ways to break down these walls, include you know people within their circle so, uh, social circle and try and emphasize that you know muslims are you know they're humans mm-hmm. you know especially speaking about muslims right now because of of the current situation right. but also other other situations too of course like racism and and uh, hate hate against people with different uh, sexual orientations mm-hmm. but yeah. specifically because it's relevant to to, to to the news today um that's what i would say and of course you know m- 
they're not going to listen to someone on the news. They're going to have to see the Muslim, and and people believe what they see. If they see a good Muslim, then they'll believe that Muslims are good. And so it's integration at the end of the day. It's integration. It's not just listening to someone saying, oh, Muslims are good. Mm -hmm. Hazrat has said so many times, you have to show with your actions as well. And so it comes down to, to... Improving our ourselves, becoming better people, better Muslims. Definitely. I mean, I was um, on the event yesterday, uh, prayer for the peace, and there were uh, people coming from all backgrounds and religion. There were Jewish people there, Christians, uh, Muslims, Sikhs, and Hindus. And uh, the amazing thing about these kind of event where integration happened is that you know people get to know each other, and when they meet each other then they realize that actually we don't have really you know that much differences rather we have more commonalities and we have uh, much more to come uh, to come together and rather than you know uh, we have differences so i mean your point is like integration can really you know um, we can tackle these kind of issue with the integration thank you so much imam khalid gonzalez sahib uh, for your time and uh, Uh, to give us the insight about this topic um thank you once again uh, peace be upon you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah so you 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 can always uh, f- uh, phone us and the phone number is 02086877787 us you can talk about your experience if you have to give us any suggestion or you want to share your experience or and you want to talk about any incident which happened to you you can you're welcome to call us on 02886877878 there are many other reasons for rise in religious hate crime and i think one of the main reason for this is political and social polarization whereby religious identity can become a division factor when politician or leader exploit religious differences for their own gain and it can lead to increase hostility between religious groups and a rise in hate crime for example sectarian division within islam particularly between sunni and shia muslims have been exploited by political leaders in the middle east uh, to maintain their power or advance their interest now this has led to tension and conflicts such as the sunni shia division in iraq and the proxy war in the region another reason why there is a rise in these hate crimes is the lack of legal protections which can make it easier for perpetrator to act with impunity now the rise rising acts on muslims the growth of right wing political groups spreading anti muslim messages and the implementation of anti muslim laws like hijab bans in europe reveal how islam is viewed in some places other reason for an increase in religious hate crimes including media influence whereby negative portrayals of certain religious groups in the media can perpetuate stereotypes and biases contributing to an atmosphere of intolerance and hatred misinformation biased reporting and sensationalism can further fuel this hate crime now the internet and social media provide platform for hate speech and the spread of extremist ideologies online communities and forum can serve as echo chambers that reinforce hatred and provide a sense of validation for a prejudiced views 
Now, this role of social media um, in reporting and this role of social media in hate crime, I think, is a very important one. Media plays a crucial role in informing the public. When media is unbiased, it provides accurate and fair information, enabling citizens to make well-informed decisions about their about their communities, uh, countries, and the world. So we have joined uh, by Imam. Uh, we're joined by Imam. Um, another Imam with with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot your name. Sorry, Mr. Kamar. Kamar. Definitely, and uh, I think this uh, this topic of uh, religious hate crime is definitely is definitely um, is important one, okay. and uh, and um, we've, uh, previously we have guest uh, Imam Khalid Gonzalez, right? And he was talking about you know uh, what are the causes and uh, uh, the rise in especially you know um, Islamophobia and anti-Semitic marks as well, mm-hmm. especially in during the situation. Uh, what's your thought on it? What are the causes of uh, rise in hmm. hate crime? I mean, if we're talking about hate crime in general, I think this is a very opportune moment in modern history to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, I think no one's a stranger to the fact that at the moment, first and foremost, it's uh, Islamophobia Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is quite ironic. Mm-hmm. What a month to choose that, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Netanyahu. <laughs> but let's see, let's get straight mm-hmm. to the point. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of conflict going on in the world today. Some people wouldn't even call it conflict. Right. This is just a one-sided attack in the in the in the view of many around the world. They would even take offense to that word. But let's just settle at that point right now. There is a lot of difference around the world. A lot of political opinions. People are angry. People are heated. People are upset. And uh, yes, perhaps this is a lot to do with intolerance. Mm-hmm. But we must not forget one thing. Mm-hmm. If you are tolerant of everything, you stand for nothing. Right. This is very important. Mm-hmm. It's good to be tolerant. Mm. But do, uh, should you be tolerant of evil? No. Should you be tolerant mm-hmm. of injustice? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I don't think any fair-minded person would say that they would. Mm-hmm. So, stepping down on evil and injustice, it does not equate mm-hmm. to intolerance. Mm-hmm. However, we have to be level-headed when we talk about these conversations. For example, anti-Semitism Mm-hmm. Quite the, the the Jews of world peace, for example, right. would say is not the same as anti anti uh, Zionism, for example. A lot of people would say that okay, we're not afraid of Islam. We may be afraid of some extremist Muslim groups. Mm-hmm. That's their opinion. Right. But this is the way we we, we look at things. We mm-hmm. don't blanket statements say that everything is intolerance, or everything is anti Semitism, or everything is Islamophobic. Right. There are certain realities behind things as well. Now. The current situation, let's look at it. And I think it's really important to, to talk about this mm-hmm. from our perspective, uh, the, from the theology of everything. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad, rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him, mm-hmm. was actually asked particularly about this. That look, um, there's a lot of differences that, that prevail, especially in Israel and Palestine, for example, if we see. Um, there's Jews, there's Muslims, there's Christians. <laughs> Why can't they live peacefully together? Right. Isn't this really the question? Mm-hmm. Why can't everyone just get along and put their differences to the side? Mm. And it seemingly, it sounds like a very valid, very mm. fair question. Why can't religious folk, why is it always a religious folk that they, they can't get along? <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with them? Yeah. What's in their DNA? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's why conversations like this are rising up. Mm-hmm. Two-state solution, this solution, that solution. Mm-hmm. His Holiness, Hazim al-Tahir Ahmed, rahimahullah, responded by saying, 
peace to establish peace mm-hmm. they don't even want peace mm. right first and foremost establish peace you need to want it you need to desire it mm. if you don't even have the intention mm. to want to get along if you don't even have the intention to try to be tolerant mm-hmm. then what's the point of having these conversations mm-hmm. okay yeah, definitely. so we're not talking about Jews here let me just clarify that like mm-hmm. I said there's a lot of Jews mm-hmm. that stand for peace and justice definitely yeah. but his holiness quite strongly said the objectives of the Zionist movement first and foremost are to take Al-Quds mm-hmm. take Jerusalem by any means whatsoever mm-hmm. and then what they're going to stop there no mm-hmm. their next objective is to take over Makkah and Medina okay okay And this is really interesting because if we just stop here for a moment and we establish the fact there is a certain type of people out there who are hell-bent on achieving this objective and this is not just me saying it in fact this is established by the, their own societies as well that mm-hmm. they want to create a one world order mm-hmm. now of course they're not going to no one's saying that they're going to just go ahead and kill everyone but this is their ultimate objective mm-hmm. to get their land and establish a one world order this way So if the, His Holiness Hazrat Tahrim has established this point mm-hmm. there are certain people out there that are hell bent on this order mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do in terms of dialogue and in discussion if someone's the oppressor then they are the oppressor at the end of the day and the prophet Muhammad peace be upon him has said yes help the oppressed as as many people are doing around the world when they're fundraising for the Palestinians and right. so forth what do you do with the oppressor you also have to raise your voice against them as well at mm-hmm. the very least you have to raise your voice against them and a lot of people are doing it nowadays as well yeah. unfortunately to little effect at the moment mm. this is the objective so first before we ask the question <laughs> of how can we get along mm-hmm. the question first should be asked do they want to get along mm-hmm. and, and 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 to be honest it's not all kind of gray and shady because like we've already discussed there's a lot of muslims that do want to get along there's a lot of christians and a lot of jews that do want to get along Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah Definitely, This yeah. is the thing yeah, yeah. So why is it That despite all of these voices And everything There is still this Overwhelming feeling That no one's listening mm-hmm. And this is the point Alright We have had these attacks On what 7th of October It's been a while now But it doesn't really seem like a while yeah. It feels like it was just yesterday For everyone <laughs> Especially the ones that People that are living there living May God have mercy yes. on them Okay So everyone's asking Muslims First do you condemn Hamas Do you condemn Hamas <laughs> We're not going to Move on until you answer this question. Hmm. And do you know what the the ironic thing is about this is that Hamas according to US officials mm-hmm. and according to Israeli officials was instigated and first besieged and and created by who? Israel. The Israelis themselves. Yeah. Why? Because they wanted to combat the dominant prevailing PLO party at that time mm-hmm. who re- ruled over Palestine. Yeah. And by by their own documents. Mm-hmm. they 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 are they are narrated to have said and recorded on paper <laughs> that they were assigned a budget mm-hmm. to support and fund Hamas so that what they can divide and conquer within that state mm-hmm. now of course this is a very ill intention forget if it gets against the muslims whoever it's against mm-hmm. that's not right okay mm-hmm. so that's what's happened and that's what they created now that same thing that that they created has now come today to bite them back in their face yeah, yeah. regardless of what they're doing and what mm-hmm. the justifications are of course no one's going to sta- sit here and and uh, and support the killing of innocent children anywhere on any side mm-hmm. that's just out of the question but this is something that they created and if they want to condemn Hamas yes if we want to condemn Hamas because they're killing innocent children go for it mm-hmm. of course remember when you condemn Hamas Israel you condemn yourself mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. were the ones that gave way to this in the first place mm-hmm. 
So I think and um, I want to talk more about this. I think this is the same thing happened in the Taliban. You know, initially the America was uh, created Taliban movement. You know, and then, then ironic, uh, isn't it? After, after all, they they're fighting with Taliban. But we have a pre-record um, uh, recording uh, uh, with Doctor Simon Whitehouse James. He is the um, advisor for services for education. Uh, let's let's hear what she has to say about this topic. Okay, assalamualaikum. Uh, good morning. Thank you for joining us, Doctor Simon. Uh, Doctor Simon uh, Whitehouse James. Um, so uh, you are a, a uh, advisor for services for education. Um, so to start off, uh, can you discuss a little bit about the role of religious education in a school's um, curriculum and why it might be a, a very important subject? Yes. Morning. Hello, everybody. Um, so. I work um, with Birmingham City Council um, in my role uh, at Services for Education, um, and religious education has has come through a sort of long historical journey. Really, um, it is statutory, um, and it came from being instruction where people of um, mainly Christianity in in the past were taught about their faith to a position now where we have religious education in schools where pupils learn about a variety of different faiths and also non-religious worldviews. So it's come from being about your own faith and your own practice to learning about others. And there's lots of different innovative approaches for how it is taught um, in schools. And that'll be different for your listeners, depending on what area of the country they are in and which school their their children attend, um, whether they're in an academy or a local authority school. Um, in Birmingham, we teach through a range of values or dispositions, um, which encourage pupils to learn about faiths and religious traditions and non-religious worldviews. Mm-hmm. But, but also about themselves and that ability to, to think about what their values are and how they re- relate to um, e- each other. So it, it is, you know, of vital importance because of that, not only because of the knowledge that they acquire, but also those other skills that they develop um, in, in RE. Yes, definitely. I think uh, critical thinking is uh, very, very important. Um, but uh, doesn't that bring in the question that um, to to what extent uh, in, does that affect the child? Um, for example, are parents usually okay with this? Or so do they sometimes have an objection that I don't want my child to, uh, you know, um, be thinking or learning about these other faiths? Um, th- there is still the the right to withdraw um, your your mm-hmm. child from uh, religious education, and a, a minority of parents do. But I think the vast majority of, of parents see that it is of value um, for their their child to learn about others. Um, we live in a, in a very global. Um, society, don't we, where we can, you know, the, the switch, j- join and speak to someone in, in another country through through technology. Um, and and the, the uh, amounts of um, students taking, for example, uh, religious studies at, at GCSE has risen by nearly mm-hmm. a third over the last 10 years. 
Um, uh, so, so that's sort of showing the value in it and parental support for, you know, their, their children studying um, that as a sort of wider wider view. Um, and, you know, there, there are sort of other um, surveys that, are, that have, have, have proven that um, the population at large think religion and worldviews is, is important in, in the school curriculum. Um, 64% of the adult population thought so um, in a religion and worldview survey taken um, uh, on behalf of Cullum St. Gabriel's, for example, a couple of years ago. So, so it is considered important to learn about, about others, even though you might have faith yourself and also um, from families that haven't got a particular worldview um, themselves. Mm -hmm. Interesting, very interesting facts as well. Um, so r religious education is not just about acquiring facts, is it, but also about connecting with the community and self-reflection. Uh, yeah. self so how can these aspects uh, within the curriculum contribute to a more academically enriching and personally fulfilling uh, educational experience for the students? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it, it it does both there. Um, it, you know, it, it is important to learn facts and information about people, um, and with that, you are sort of armed and, and skilled to to, to discuss mm -hmm. um, with them and to to uh, you know learn more about uh, and, and be living within in the society um, with with a mixture of people. But also, it's more than regurgitating facts. It, it is those acquiring those higher thinking skills, like the ability to discern, um, to be able to critically interpret and reflect on what you are learning about. And I think from that, you get more engagement from pupils as they're learning religious education. And it's not only, a, you know, in RE that they, they learn some of these skills. Um, but pupils are able to sort of think more deeply and re reflect on their own values, their own thoughts. And I think because of that, they get a, a more sort of enriching educational experience than just, hey, I can just recite what the five pillars are. I know what a good warrior is. I know mm -hmm. what happened, you know, when um, the, the Buddha became awakened. There's more to it. Than, than that and always has been this sort of relating to your own personal experience but I think more so now um, you know different uh, uh, religious approaches and, and themes and, and syllabi are looking at that sort of ability to, to grow and nurture our pupils in, in the world where we are. So, you know, they are bombarded by media aren't they? Um, yeah. they, they might be on their mobile phones and they are flooded with lots of different information, um, not just about religion, but it's it, it, it's giving them those skills and that ability to be able to, to think about how do I interpret this information that I, I'm, I'm given? That was a little bit different from when we learned about whatever faith or that group of people in, in the lesson. So why is this you know, article or, or, or news item saying that about those people. How, how do I, mm. you know, what do I think about that? How do I relate to that? So it's given them, you know, the, these skills for living, um, it, it, you know, and to understand each other. Um, it isn't that we're all going to be skipping off together and, and agree. Oh, yes, we all do agree with these these same, values, yeah, yeah. same thoughts. But but it, it, it's that 
that way of looking, actually thinking sometimes, you know what? Some people within a particular tradition do believe things mm. and, and do practice things in a different way. And let's understand that and the reasons for that rather than think, let's put a blanket over it. So so I think, it, you know, it, it is really important, but it, it does um, give pupils the, these, these wider skills, not, you know, beyond the classroom. Yes, very important. Again, um, I mean, there's not always uh, agreeing. A lot of times you disagree upon things, but it doesn't mean... Yeah. Um, that we, you know, um, have um, any problems within within each other with each other, right? Mm. Exactly. Yes. So uh, you did actually answer like one of the questions already, which was like, how does it affect the society as a whole and the broader community, uh, which is mm. very good. Um, but another question I have is that um, sometimes, you know, uh, teaching RE um, it, it needs to be engaging. It can be mm -hmm. boring. Uh, um, so what do you think is one of the best ways um, or most effective ways of teaching this subject? Um, how should the teacher, uh, I mean, it depends from teacher to uh, teacher, to teacher probably, but uh, in, in your experience or in your view, what's one of the best ways to uh, make this engaging? Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously I'd like to have a, have a word with you about your teacher. If, uh, <laughs> if RE could possibly be boring, but there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it gives us, it gives us a, a, a wide variety of, of subjects. And, you know, some are going to be of more interest to some, some pupils and some, you know, um, young adults than, than others. Of, of course it is. Um, in Birmingham, for example, I can only sort of speak more, more deeply about Birmingham because that's the area where where i uh, mm -hmm. advise um but but we teach through values and dispositions there's 24 of them that mm -hmm. our faith groups and the non-religious worldviews have actually signed up to that's what happens in a, in a syllabus conference that's that's locally determined but for, for how our re is taught and we see that as being obviously more nurturing to develop pupils in this way to sort of the, these are the the values which our faiths in the city actually hold dear and we want to nurture you and to skill you you know around these values but also um when a a, a pupil is um learning about something that might be alien to them there might be more of a disengagement and a problem with that because What's in it for me? What, what's that got to do with me? Why am I learning about yeah. them? Um, you know, I've got no interest in that. But if we come through a sort of shared common value, something um, that it, that is uh, that the same with a particular faith group, even that, that that might be different to your own, you can perhaps see some areas of, of commonality and see the reason for why you are looking at it. Um from, from my own research, from, from my own doctoral research, I was asking teachers about this um, mm -hmm. approach. And do they see that, that it gives pupils a way in and helps them to engage with the subject? And they actually said yes, but also more so for us. Um, you know, a lot of teachers um, in primary schools are non-specialist deliverers of RE. Um, mm -hmm. And so they haven't had a lot of specialist training and they can't see the reason for why they're doing it. So let alone our, our pupils, mm -hmm. we're skilling up teachers as well to do that. Um, 
And I think, you know, if you are bringing in, which you can do for RE, relate it to current events, get, you know, so dis discussion about something that might be in, in the news, um, make it really current, make it relevant to themselves um, and, and why it's important. Then they're going to be more sort of engaged and think, actually, this has got some meaning for me and I want to know more about it. So I, I think that's what we, we have always done throughout time. And that's what <coughs> teaching is, is about, really. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, let's let's hope, um, you know, you, you did have a, a better experience with that and didn't find it boring <laughs> when you were at school. Yeah, very interesting again. Um, so do you think... Um, You know, uh, because obviously it's, it's a matter of religion, there is going to be disagreement. Do you think uh, teachers should have maybe some um, small debates within the class uh, where some students may uh, defend or um, speak about their own religion? Do you think this is a, this is a good way to um, kind of integrate education in this? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are discussions um, throughout primary school and, and secondary school in classrooms about topics, mm -hmm. um, in, in, you know, within RE. And it is up to the, the teacher to nurture as to whether, you know, that they want their, their pupils to respond from their own perspective with, the, with their own um, religious tradition. Or sometimes you can actually set up, you know, a debate and uh, get get. To the pupils to research on behalf of another faith and to sort mm -hmm. of play the advocate for those um, so that then they're developing knowledge about another faith and they're defending it as, as well as part of that debate. Um, so so it, it does happen in, in you know numerous ways um, with different activities in the classroom. And again, that's back to engaging pupils about ORI and good sort of teaching techniques to get them to sort of develop this sort of understanding of different perspectives and to put themselves in perhaps other people's shoes for, for a little while and, and to understand what it means for them. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned that there's an increase of, uh, you know, people taking their interest in this. Um, do yes, you think in, in the future or in the near future, this, this will become a, a major subject? Because at the moment, it's, it's not an important subject in schools. It's rather maths or science or even English. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, you know, we, it's always been termed the Cinderella of, uh, of subjects um, and that, you know, there is this emphasis on literacy and, and numeracy. And of course, that is really important. I'm not going to say it, it's not, mm. but more so we would be, be talking in, in, you know, in, in RE circles about religious literacy, giving pupils these skills to be able to think about and to defend and to look at interpreting sources, um, to be reflective and to use their evaluative skills is so important and I would say vital um, for us continuing to live in, in a global, you know, communities that, that we are now. Um, so, so I hope it, it does continue to, to be of importance and that people, um, you know, do recognise this. Teachers see the importance of it. Pupils engage with it. It's that sort of bigger sort of shift that we need, don't we, to sort of say, actually, it, it, it is of importance, um, you know, whether it is included in sort of bigger platforms and it's given the time in, in school um, and the support um, uh, that those are the, the, the sort of bigger factors mm -hmm. here. 
Yes, I think, uh, you know, Islam and religion in general uh, puts a lot of emphasis in, in interfaith discussions and um, you know, know, learning about each other because, mm. uh, I mean, every different, every human is different. You know, there's different races, there's different religions, there's different um, uh, classes in the society. Um, so in, in this respect, how how much do you think the government should play a role in this um, or the educational institutions to uh, implement uh, maybe more effective ways or uh, kind of bring this subject a bit more up because I personally think because you know we're on the Voice of Islam radio, we are we only talk yeah. about Islam yes. uh, mostly. So we, I personally think this is a very important subject, and it's not given the importance it deserves. Do you think the government or the educational institutes can do something about this? I, I, I hope so. Uh, you know, there, there are all party parliamentary groups discussing um, religious education. There are national groups like the RE Council driving forward to sort of say how important it is. Uh, you know, the, the landscape of education changes quite frequently. Um, but but I think it, it, that although there is this movement from the sort of below, as it were, from faith groups saying how important it is, from, from parents recognising that, that there does need to be, uh, you know, that, that wider support. Um, for example, sort of training specialist RE teachers or having, um, you know, training for non-specialist teachers mm -hmm. available, um, you know, that that's really important because then, with teachers being skilled, you, you can do different things in the classroom that then has a knock-on effect for, for pupils, doesn't it? So that there are, are sort of ripples all around this um, in, in terms mm. of where we can go and sort of move. But the, the, there are those sort of structures in, in place. Things take time, don't they, to, to have an effect? Yeah, definitely. And uh, just lastly there, um, um, the I feel like the religious... Um, knowledge of of the general public is not that good or that mm. um, you know there's few people which are very uh, learned in their faith or in other faiths yes. so um, i feel like the the re system in the schools is maybe not it's not good enough obviously it's not give, been given the importance yet but do you think that there can be a change in the syllabus that can improve this or um uh, do you think um, maybe courses can be prolonged uh, any advice on this if, if you if you um you know would, would be asked mm, um it, it, it's a difficult one that one um it, you know pupils do opt um, in in some schools to sort of technically i'm using my um air, air conversation drop religious mm -hmm. education and religious studies at gcse um in, in other yeah. schools um they, they encourage pupils to take it on for longer. Um, so in a secondary school system, someone might only sort of have access to religious education lessons for two or, or three years then. Um, so, so what happens after that? Um, but they would have got a good grounding through through that. Mm. Um, and it, it, it's thinking about perhaps now, you know, when you refer to the general population, what age group are we talking about with that? Because hopefully, you know, um, 
younger and I'm not being ageist here but but younger <laughs> folks will have come through a system where they have had religious education um, yes, you know, yes. in, in their in their lives for like that um whereas the older population might not have done and they might have been sort of subject to more more um religious instruction um and and not sort of um uh, opened up to um you know what wider faiths like we do have now um so mm-hmm. there is a historical sort of um you know sort of chain with that um but again it comes back to doesn't it the support and the value for religious education itself and going back to it's not just about regurgitating facts and those wider sort of ripples and skills that we can develop in young people uh not just for the value of society but also as an intrinsic importance within itself um, so, so I think that's that's where the sort of shift has to uh, take place. Yes, uh, very well put. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Simone. Um, do you have any question for me? Uh, maybe you are, uh, well, this is the voice of Islam radio. If you have a question about Islam, or, uh, oh, actually, may I ask that? Because I, I haven't done RE in this country. I, I moved from Germany when oh. I was... Um, you know, in my sorry, my like teenage years, uh, fourteen years or so. So, uh, if you could just mention um, generally, just you know, very shortly, um, what do they teach in RE? Um, you know, if you just can mention yeah. about Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, the, the major yeah. religions. So, so there is a system within um, and according to, to, to law in in Britain that religious education is locally determined. Um, mm-hmm. So depending where your listeners are, that they will have a locally agreed syllabus for that local authority, which is agreed by a, a number of people from a different uh, religious traditions and non-religious worldviews. Um, and depending on that local si- situation, that is what is, is sort of taught. Um, mm-hmm. And then again, there's that layer of, Free schools and academies, um, you, you know, dependent on on their deeds as to what they sort of teach. Um, if if I go back to to Birmingham and our locally agreed syllabus, so we have the twenty four values which underpin that, and mm-hmm. there were nine faith groups and a humanist representative from non religious worldviews who signed up to those twenty four values. So within our lessons in in Birmingham, there's a sort of spiral curriculum of encountering those 24 values through different faith groups. Um, mm-hmm. So, for example, one of, of the values is creating unity and harmony or part- being, uh, participating and being willing to lead. So those are the things that we want to sort of nurture. But there might be examples in those lessons for pupils at different phases of, of their um, school career where they encounter those values through uh, examples of, of different religious traditions and okay. non-religious worldviews. So so that's how we do it there. And, and you know, maybe different to different areas of the country, we, we, we have got that 
vast array of of faith groups, you know, from Baha'i to Rastafari and also including Christianity and Islam mm. and, and Sikhism. Uh, don't want to miss anyone out there, but if, if you have a look on, <laughs> yes, on the website, you'll see you'll see the, the, the nine faiths and the religious worldviews that, that we do, um, you know, uh, centre on. Um, and those folk from those traditions have been involved within that, that curriculum, which I think is important because, you know, you can say com- to communities that someone from your faith has signed up to this, has agreed this for you. And I think that that is immensely impa- powerful about, you know, for the, um, the local view. Yes. Yes. Great. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Simon. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, that's Thank all you. from my side. <laughs> if you want to have any last words or uh, we, we can just close on that. No, thank you very much. It's been lovely to have the opportunity. Great. Thank you so much. Have a nice day and I hope we we see you again on the show some other time. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. Bye. Thank you. Take care. That was Dr. Simone Whitehouse, who was telling us, Imran, a little bit about the importance of education and how educating yourself with the right mindset and the right perspective and the history Mm -hmm. of those around you will, of course, definitely help us to gain a better understanding of how to live alongside one another and I think this is absolutely on the point it's really important for education to happen I mean uh, when you're scrolling around on socials uh, you often see it where there'll be a Muslim or a Jew especially within this particular scenario mm-hmm. who who's admitting to the fact that they learned a little bit more about the other side mm-hmm. and they felt like they could really understand what, what was going on and what the history of each side was and I think one really kind of beautiful example of this I don't know how many people have actually listened mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. as Bassam Yusuf's interviews with Piers Morgan I think his approach has been pretty good and pretty mm-hmm. enlightening mm-hmm. where he's he's actually done that mm-hmm. he's actually gone there and educated himself obviously for his, with his in-laws being from there educated himself on both sides of the story and he has the empathy where it's needed and of course he puts his foot down where it's needed so we must strike the balance and of course this is what the Quran says to us as well that you must take that middle route and apply justice where it's needed we're going to be taking obviously a short break for the news what are we going to be doing after that Imran? I'm just going to uh, uh, give us a a quote of the His Holiness Surah Ahmed Uh, he said the true Muslim firmly believes that all the humans are born equal and that regardless of differences of belief the values of mutual respect and tolerance must be firmly embedded hmm. within the society. In, in in the next hour, we're going to talk about Prayer for Peace, an event which happened okay. yesterday. So it's about um, um, Ahmadiyya Muslim community okay. recorded his uh, protest, you can say, in a peaceful manner okay. that, uh, you know, uh, should be ceasefire right. and should be hum- humanitarian um, aid should be given to Palestinians. So, okay. And Hopefully you're going to be telling us a little bit about that after the news. Definitely. And we're also going to be talking about the Mahdi, the Messiah. Some of you may have been hearing about people calling for the Messiah and the Mahdi okay. to come. Now is the time we need. Muslims need the help. Where is he? And what are we going to do with him? We're going to find out all about this straight after the news, which is right now. All right, we are back for the Drive Time Show. And we're going to be here now with you for one other hour. And let me tell you right now, this is about to get a little bit interesting. Mm-hmm. And it is a live show. So 0208-687-7878 is the number that you must use to call in. If you have any views that you want to share with us right now, and we are going to be talking about Imran. Mm-hmm. Definitely, we're going to about talking about um, the program which yesterday in Bethlehem hmm, Mosque, okay. the Western, the biggest mosque in mosque in Western Europe, and uh, you know the world is witnessing a deeply distressing conflict. Okay. Uh, in uh, you know, as we all know, in, 
Israel and Palestine. And, uh, you know, that is, has far-reaching, um, you know, implication. And the nature of attack has the scale of conflict is gravely concerning. Right. And, you know, some people are saying that, you know, this is, this is the start of the World War III. Okay. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that is why Amdi Muslim community yeah. uh, recorded a peaceful protest, you can say, in, okay. the, in the mosque. What was and, it called? Uh, it was called Peace for Prayer. And the program started prayer for peace, and the and the program started with the, the recitation of the Holy Quran, okay. which was uh, basically presented by a small uh, kind in a beautiful, uh, beautiful voice. And the verse says that basically, if, if it just the gist of the verse was that there is no peace without justice. Okay. you have to. Uh, well, in order to establish justice, you have to show <laughs> the guy peace. might have been small, but his message was huge. And I think <laughs> this is ironic because mm. Britain, listen up. There's an event that happened yesterday, mm. prayers for peace. And everybody talking about trying to establish peace, even Rishi Sunak stood up and said, we need to come to a sustainable solution and ensure <laughs> the, the lives are protected of innocent civilians. What on earth are you talking about? Mm. Britain stands silent on a ceasefire. We had the option. The UK had the option. Wow. Not the UK, I wouldn't put them all in the boat. <laughs> Britain had Britain the option Britain. to vote for a ceasefire in Gaza, what does that mean? We had the option to say, stop killing mm. innocent children and civilians. Mm. And we didn't even say yes or no. We didn't even have the guts to say that. We just mm. remained silent. We abstained from that. Mm. How on earth? And we th I think the news that we just listened to, someone said, this is the, the time for action and deeds, not words. Mm. So there's absolutely no point in anyone, whether they're a politician, diplomat, citizen, to stand up and say, we need peace now, we need to protect our civilians. And then when the opportunity finally comes mm. for some sort of warfare to stop, mm. we just don't do anything about it. I, feel, I mean, um, when Ukraine and uh, Russia war was happening, um, lots of politicians were saying that we have our moral duty to condemn Russia. And you condemn yeah. because they are killing innocent people. Definitely, I mean you should condemn. Uh, uh, you can, should condemn people who are killing innocent people. But now, when it's time for uh, unfortunately Israel and Palestinian conflict happen, uh, not a single voice that you know we should condemn it or at least you know give them the humanitarian aid mm -hmm. or uh, ceasefire should happen. But uh, unfortunately, they have two sides of people. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Like, mm. at the same, at the, on the one hand, you have a call for peace mm. by various diplomats around the world. When they get the chance, they do not want to have a ceasefire. They will then opt in and say, "Oh, you know what? It, it doesn't matter that we didn't call for a ceasefire. We're mm. we're, we're sending in humanitarian aid. That, yeah. You know, we're, mm. we're sending in things that we need to." Mm. By the way, we, never, we don't even know if we've ever seen that. Trucks are going in. We don't know what's inside mm. them. Mm. But they're sending humanitarian aid. What what humanitarian aid? And what is that going to do for dead people? I mean, humanitarian the, mm. the aid goes for people who are surviving and they, there's a chance of saving them yes. it doesn't go to people that are being bombed mm. and you've got, you can't do anything to save them what's mm. that humanitarian aid going to do for them okay. so first and foremost we need to strive for the opportunity wherever for a ceasefire and I, I literally can't believe it mm. like, this is not even a joke mm. yeah this is not a joke broadcasters and diplomats when they're asked what, what about a ceasefire mm. what, what's a blanket statement they always have mm. Israel has the right to defend itself mm. Are you mad? Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I saw a picture on Twitter the other day mm -hmm. where I don't know who the editor was. Kudos to him or her. Picture of planet Earth. Okay. Right. But one quarter of it was missing. Just imagine that for a minute. Planet Earth. Uh -huh. One quarter of it is gone. <laughs> okay. It's obliterated. Okay. And there's a caption on it by uh, saying, uh, a statement by Israel. Yay, we destroyed Hamas. 
Ah. Right. And obviously, this is an exaggerated statement. Mm. We don't know about the future, but right now, can you imagine this? That just because there is an extremist group somewhere, they justify the killing of what is in our almost 10,000 or beyond innocent civilians mm. in a place that doesn't even belong to them. Mm-hmm. And I really like the statement and question of, uh, um, I can't, I, I, I think it was probably Muhammad Hijab, but mm. others also reiterated the same sentiment and it was also echoed on LBC, in fact. Okay. The question that if Hamas entered an Israeli hospital or school, mm. right? Think about this for a moment. They dug tunnels underneath an mm. Israeli hospital, mm-hmm. right? Let's say that some of the Israeli government's mo- mothers and fathers are, are on a ventilator in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Would Israel bomb that hospital? Because why not, right? It's justified according to them. Yeah, that, okay, there's, there's, there's five Hamas terrorists or 20 of them. Let's bomb 3,000 civilians. It's all good. At the end of the day, we have the right to defend, to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. Are you, of course, no one would say that. It's only when it comes to the fact that it's the Muslims or the people who are known as the Arabs mm-hmm. that we, we think this is okay. And this is, not, this is not me saying this, by the way. Mm-hmm. On the LBC interview that I heard, mm-hmm. the guest that called in, he was asked this, that why would you not be happy with the IDF bombing an Israeli hospital, mm-hmm. which has got terrorists inside them? Okay. You're very happy to bomb a question. Palestinian mm-hmm. hospital. Do you know what he literally said? Mm-hmm. He literally said, not from his own point of view, because mm. the lives of the Palestinians have less value. Wow. And this is exactly the, what you said in the beginning. Mm. Quran, Quran says that mm. the people are have always been one people. Mm-hmm. And the, the only split and difference is mm. that they were living in different places and God sent them different prophets. Mm. They are, though, one people. Definitely. Yeah. And unfortunately, the world is failing to not only recognize it, mm-hmm. they're failing to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really sad situation. And Ron, we, we kind of spoke about, you, you know, you'd be speaking about mm-hmm. the event, mm-hmm. prayers for peace. Yeah. And I like this mm-hmm. because although it may not be the only thing that we should be doing, mm-hmm. yeah, we need to pray. Uh, Definitely. We, we know that the holy lands, which are in the Quran, are mentioned, are mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al-Quds, uh, Jerusalem's area, we know about Medina, we know about Makkah. These are very revered places for Muslims and Jews and Christians alike. Well, at least the latter. Mm-hmm. And what, 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 what is said about it? Mm-hmm. The Quran makes a promise that Yeah. So God has told us already that if you want to be someone who dwells in the Holy Land, you want to live in Makkah, you want to live in Medina, you want to live in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. The only prerequisite isn't just that you're raising your voice. You're not going to get it like that. Mm-hmm. The only prerequisite isn't going to be that you're able to defend it with your with your with your you know with your might and right. with your force. That's mm-hmm. not the only way that you're going to stay there. Mm-hmm. What is the first prerequisite for you to have the right to remain there? Mm-hmm. It is that you are amongst the pious people, okay, amongst the righteous people. About your solid, right? Yeah. So first and foremost, mm-hmm. that's why I like this event. Mm-hmm. Because if you are someone who's praying, mm-hmm. then you are someone who's striving to become that kind of person. That's step one Definitely. of doing that. What's step two though? Because like we've already mentioned, we can talk about peace, we can talk about integration if the parties are willing to do it, mm-hmm. if the parties are willing to adopt this stance. Mm-hmm. If they're not, and they don't want to do that, mm-hmm. then they will be seen as an oppressor. Mm-hmm. And a larger oppressor in this story in particular. Mm-hmm. So dialogue would work so far and of course prayers would work so far mm-hmm. as well but if it's been established that their agenda is to go further and infiltrate mm-hmm. these regions and take hold of them we've already talk- spoken about the fact that regimes like Hamas were created by the IDF them very, them, themselves yeah, yeah. To, to divide and conquer in the first place and it's exactly what they're doing right now mm-hmm. so 
why should we be foolish to that or turn a blind eye to this or allow ourselves to be eaten by a narrative which makes us think otherwise? I mean, mm. we have to think for a moment, Imran, seriously, very, very consequentially, mm. that the 7th October attacks, of course they happened, okay. But how on earth can we <laughs> not think about this fact for a minute? And and by the way, the IDF has failed to comment on this to, yeah, this, to this day. Definitely. That mm. the most secure border, presumably in the world right now, mm. right, so secure that forget a terrorist forget a, a someone of suspicion mm. a normal Muslim who walks into Israel through the border may even be strip searched Definitely. before entry I mean okay? this mm. is how secure mm. it is they have the, they have the dome system which is mm. an anti-missile system mm-hmm. where it detects any sort of airborne missile mm. and is able to take it down mm. so much so to the point that when the Houthis launched their three missiles yeah. they were intercepted immediately Definitely. they didn't even land in Israel mm. and you're telling me that the same system that can stop hmm. these very meticulous missiles in the air, hmm. wasn't able to spot hmm. a few people flying down on parachutes and kites and, definitely and entered, not only entered hmm. Israel, hmm. but remained there for hours long without the IDF having any knowledge of it. This is important hmm. because I, I'm going to tell you this is misinformation going out there as well. Okay. This is just a question that I'm asking. Definitely. But what is it's a fact? A but what good. is the fact? Yeah. The fact is this, that on the same day that it happened, Social media was going crazy mm-hmm. with a video mm-hmm. of some random geezers coming down from the sky uh-huh. on paragliders. Okay. Okay. And everybody's going, wow, look at that. Mm. That's Hamas. They've done it. Mm. Initially, the first thing that I thought is mm. what I just said right now. Mm. How on earth have they managed to do that without being seen or spotted? But I was wrong mm. because it wasn't even the case. Mm. The video that was going viral on social media was a video years old of an Egyptian military training camp had absolutely okay. nothing to do okay. with Hamas whatsoever. Okay. So only time will tell now hmm. what exactly happened on that day. Hmm. And I think it's a valid question to ask. Of course, we're not going to jump to conclusions hmm. at this moment Definitely. as to exactly who did what hmm. and why what happened. But one thing is very clear to me that we know that the IDF established Hamas. Why? Initially to divide and conquer. Hmm. And they are looking for opportunities to do that. Hmm. How can you do that? Israel can't today stand up and just invade a country. Just okay. for the sake of it. Mm. Just out of pure anger. Why? Even though they have absolutely no guts about them, mm. the international world would still stand up about it mm. and say something at least. But if it happens to be the case that from the other side, a so-called extremist organization throws a few sticks and stones, mm. then they have the justification to go in and destroy that land. And this is the regime. Now, like I said, time will tell. Is this what happened? Mm. Or is it how it was reported? We don't know. We have heard reports even, and there's no way to justify either side at the moment. Mm -hmm. The party that happened on the 7th October, the attacks that were taking place, exactly what unfolded. And it's not me asking this, by the way. Go to Piers Morgan's interviews, go to Mm -hmm. the the, the Basim Yusuf conversations, the the Muhammad Hijab conversations. Mm -hmm. They were asking the same questions. They were asking the same questions that exactly what happened on that day. Because there are certain reports Mm -hmm. that say, of course, and we know this, Mm -hmm. that Hamas took the hostages. Okay. And and so they they even killed some of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then there are certain reports. Number one, of course, by Hamas themselves, and and, and by some of the captives, some of the hostages that were released. What mm-hmm. saying what? Mm-hmm. That we were taking captives 
by Hamas. Mm-hmm. Why, first of all, why? Mm-hmm. Because Israeli Israel also has already has hostages of of, of the Palestinian people. Okay. So it was they, it was being done. I'm not trying to justify this. Mm. I'm telling this from their point of view. Okay, we're not trying to justify this. Definitely. We're telling you this from yeah. their point of view. Definitely, that they did this because if they had their hostages, they can bargain hostages and get their people back and negotiate. This was it. They didn't Mm. want to harm them. Mm. This is what they're saying. Mm. And what happened? Israel, according to their own accounts of Mm. these hostages, what did they say? Mm. They said that we were taken as hostages and the IDF did not want us to be taken as hostages because they knew if Hamas ends up having hostages, they have leverage. Mm. So what did they do? They started shooting us. Israel shooting its own people. Mm. And you know how videos of people on, on the 7th October after that, people being put, in, put into in the back of trucks, mm. women, men, youngsters. Yeah. And, and, and originally it was, it was alluded to that, oh, look at what Hamas has done. They've shot them. They've injured them. These same hostages come out and say that we were shot by our own military and the Hamas was taking us to the hospitals. Wow. Now, I'm not saying mm. in, the, in the bigger picture mm. that, that this is exactly what they may have done. Mm. There are so many different reports of what happened. Mm. Some are going against the media narrative. Some are supporting the media narrative. There is so much information and misinformation out there that it's just quite difficult to decipher what's going on. What we do know Hmm. is that people are standing out and they're speaking about it. And in fact, I think we actually have some interviews as well, don't we? Before going that, I just wanted to um, raise a fund, uh, you know, uh, fundraising appeal which is happening uh, today uh, between 6.30 to 8 o'clock and you can donate uh, some money according to your means uh, at www.mercyformankind.org uh, 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 definitely I think the people uh, who are suffering in Gaza um, uh, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said in one of his hadiths that if you if you comfort your Muslim brother Allah will comfort you on the day of judgment so uh, I urge all of the listeners uh, who are listening that uh, try to contribute in this fundraising appeal for the Palestinian people. And that's happening today, actually, straight after this live show. You can actually f- take part in mm. helping and contributing towards the people there as much as we can. Yes. There's only so much we can do sitting here, I, I presume, mm. but don't let that put you off. Anything you do, mm. anything you do, pray, raise your voice, raise funds. Don't let anybody put you down for doing it, saying, oh, what's that going to do? Hmm. It's not about what it's going to do. You are doing it for your ajr, for your Definitely. own iman. Islam owes you nothing. You owe the ummah. Definitely. And so th- therefore we're going to do this. And then just having said that, hmm. we're actually going to now go to a few interviews of people who attended some Palestine protests yeah. uh, on London. Hmm. Uh, there was a h- half a million. I think they're aiming for a million. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see what exactly happened there. A message to the world, a message to our brothers and sisters in Gaza, and if you have anything for the politicians here, what would you say to them? As a mother, as a, as a, as a woman, why does that affect us so much? I mean, we spoke about this, right? Yes. Why is this so close to your heart? Uh, it's one, one scene I saw in a television was a child was crying, the house collapsed, and he's crying for his mom and dad, and he lost his mom and dad, and they were, he was about under five, and then later on, he saw his sister, she's about three, and he's holding her hand, and then I find the third brother, who was about three, and then they just come and holding each other, crying, and I think that is, I saw, I know. We all feel this. We all feel this. I'm sorry. I just saw that it's my children. 
and um, any politician or any human being is without sin. If he's not been affected by it, then there is no humanity. Because how you like your children to be on that environment all the time is not one month. It has been enough. It's been a long time. And it's enough, it's enough because they have been suffering quite a lot. And now it starts affecting us now. It's for every day. Going to work and things affect us. Eating affects us. And we feel like hopeless. And um, we only things can do is like stand up here and just get that number for the politician to feel our fear, how we feel, you know, is to, to understand we're actually getting really in pain and hurting by it. So we they're responsible for to ease the misery for us and for these children who are actually losing their mum and see that each other into a pieces in the floor. And if I saw my daughter like that, my son, it's, it's hard. If you could send a message to anyone in Gaza, what would that be? What would you tell them? I just, I just ask God just to bring some, some peace for these families and we're always with them. Although we are not there, we are here, but we wish if we be there, they are on our hearts and uh, is, I feel like I'm guilty, like i am done something for them to do, have that life, but I've done nothing, but I feel like, like we all contribute, you know, this, they are not unlucky, they live in that life, but it has to stop, we are with them, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, just go ahead. Sorry. That's how you want it. Now, I don't think I have to say much. A lot of you guys just heard this as it was. Very emotional, very powerful. People are really, really aware about mm -hmm. this, what's mm -hmm. going on around the world. Alhamdulillah for that, actually. Mm -hmm. That, if anything, what this has done, this whole situation, mm -hmm. uh, like I said before, it's whatever you do, it does something. If you're just tweeting about it, if you're just posting about it, you're raising your voice, someone will see it. Mm -hmm. And someone, <laughs> someone will realize this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, people are beginning to stand up mm. uh, in in a way that hasn't been previously done. Mm. So carry on doing that and, and stand, stand up. The Prophet mm. has okay. actually said, and I will keep reiterating mm. this, that when you see something wrong, mm. when you see an oppression, the greatest iman is that you act out against it. Mm. If you cannot do that, the greatest iman is that you speak out against it. And if you cannot do that, mm. then you must remain silent well, not you should, but you, you can remain silent mm. and tell yourself in your heart that this is evil. But this is the weakest of iman. Mm. And we as Muslims do not want to be mm. of weak iman. We want to those, be, strive to be those who try to be the best that we can. So do what you're doing. Don't let anybody put you down about it. And uh, uh, Imran, we started off this conversation mm. by saying that there was an event uh, that happened yesterday, Pray mm. for Peace. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're trying right now in mm. the world, not just the event of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community around the world, through talks, through dialogue, mm -hmm. to kind of understand what, what is the way forward? What are the solutions? And, and I think one of them mm -hmm. 
maybe it was addressed yesterday at the event as well, mm. and also in, in Parliament it's been addressed, is the mm. two-state solution. Mm. What is that? Do you want to tell us a little bit about what was spoken about yesterday as well? Definitely, I, w- I would say a two-state solution is uh, definitely that, you know, uh, Israel and Palestine people, uh, they can have their separate country and they can live side by side. Uh, mm. This is this was said in the in in the parliament. Many people are right. saying right, right, uh, right. But we know that uh, this uh, this uh, solution it had its own uh, ups and downs, setbacks. Huh? Setbacks. Um, I think uh, generally, if 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 uh, both parties should abide by the rule, maybe this is a solution. But I'm not sure. No, you're, you're right. Mm. I, I think the two state solution has also already been implemented, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the world right now is presenting the two-state solution as if, as if it's some kind of new package. Okay. Oh, let's try this, as if we've never done it before. Mm. The two-state solution almost was in effect in 1947 with mm-hmm. the border split. Interesting. It's already been around. It's already been tried and tested. Theoretically, in a, realist, in a non-realist world, it sounds really nice. Mm. In fact, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had something like this in Medina. Well, we wouldn't call it a two-state solution, but he allowed people of different faiths to rule by their own books. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. Jews, Definitely. Christians, Muslims, they were allowed to do this mm-hmm. on the basis that they had an agreement, a single mm-hmm. agreement, mm-hmm. that they would not, they would not in, uh, basically in, be unjust towards one another. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. But this is a society where the people are willing to do that. Unfortunately, the past 50, 60 years has proven that, that there are people that are not willing to do that. And so you have to live in a realistic society, of course, who wouldn't love a two-state solution? Definitely. But why? Why is it not working? We have mm. to. We have to think about mm. it. Is, is it just because there is an offender and someone who's being offended, mm. and that there's an injustice? Partly, of course, yes. Mm. The 1947 border happened, and people Zionists were still allowed to encroach upon the already agreed upon borders. Yes, that's the first repression. Mm. What was wrong after that? The UN, Britain, who literally started this this treaty. Mm sat there and did nothing about it. Mm. Absolutely nothing. To the point where I don't think much has changed because we've already mentioned that they're not even down to vote for a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. So not much has changed with the sentiment of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So understanding this, how much hope do we really have that if we actually establish a two-state solution realistically, Mm. who is going to be there to ensure that it stays like that. Mm. Because the past 50 years have proven Definitely, that it yeah. won't stay That's like a, that. That's a big question, yes. You can do it. You can mm. just do it. Mm. Okay, two states, bang. Mm. 100 years from now, who's going to ensure that it's going to stay like that? Mm-hmm. And this is the problem. There's no one because the past 50 years has proven that there isn't really anybody who's really going to step down when things get heated. Unfortunately. Un- unfortunately. Mm. Like I said, we've got the examples before us right now. So this is the real question. We need to be very realistic. If... Number one, mm-hmm. the UN, the West can stand up like when it's needed. That's what we need to see. Number two, Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. What on earth are you doing? You're not even standing up for your own people, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say this from the point of view mm-hmm. that Muslims are not only obliged to help Muslim nations who are oppressed. Mm-hmm. We can see Khalid bin Walid, Ibn al-Jarrah, Tariq mm-hmm. bin Zayyad. No, they helped people who were not even necessarily Muslim. Yes. That it wasn't even a question of is this guy a Muslim? Do we need to? It was just a question of this person's oppressed. Let's help them out. Definitely. Tariq bin Ziyad mm, yeah. burnt his ships mm. to save Christians. Mm. It wasn't even a question of this. So the Muslim sentiment is also not there. And what's going on? The Quran says that those people who involve themselves in usury and riba and mm. interest and lending money and this and that, be, be prepared for war with Allah and His Messenger. Why is it such a serious sin? 
for a country to involve themselves in lending and taking money, which involves themselves in hmm. being in a capitalist interest debt. Why? Hmm. Because when you do that, hmm. you become the slave of that person that you owe money to. And mm-hmm. we can see with the Muslim countries that is exactly what's happening today. They owe the West, they owe Zionist states, mm. and they can do absolutely nothing about nothing it. To the point where it's been said in the past few weeks that Israel is in talks with Egypt. No. To mm. say what? Mm. That Egypt, oh dear Egypt, you owe us $20 billion. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We're willing to forgive that if you do one thing. Mm. If you open up the Sinai Desert, and let the Palestinians get kicked into that and live in a tent city. Just like Moses were kicked out into the Sinai Desert. Uh-huh. Yeah, our own people. Do that to, do that to them. Hmm. And this is how people who are inflicted by debt and usury hmm. are then become slaves of those people who are the oppressors. Hmm. And in turn, Allah decrees upon them war because of that. So Muslim countries really need to wake up and put their financial inter- you know, vested interests to the side. Hmm. There are some, I would say, that have stood up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we can see that they're, 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 they're being conscious of the, of the fact. But we can do better. Definitely. Muslims could do far better. Definitely. I would say, uh, you know, there are very interesting story. Uh, you know, uh, I've seen people saying that there is rise in anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Semitic marks against the Jews. But uh, you talked about Tariq bin Ziyad and conquering Spain. And actually in the golden age of Islam, right. uh, Spain, uh, it was considered one of the safest wow. uh, place for the Jews and well, a Muslim state, a Muslim state, <laughs> and okay. Jewish and even Christian coming all around the Europe Absolutely. and taking refuge in the in the Muslim uh, Spain in the It was not only mm. a safe place for Jews. Let me mm. tell you this: mm. that six seven hundred year period mm. was amazing. Definitely, it allowed mm. science, history, astrology, astronomy to flourish in that region mm. when everyone worked together. Everyone remembers it to this day. Mm. Wow. It can, it can be done provided you have people who want to live together. They want hmm. to have the peace. Definitely. If that's not the case, hmm. then it's not the case. And the world leaders need to do more to ensure that when oppression comes at the doorstep of anyone, we stand against it. And this is the bottom line. Inshallah, like I said, you can raise your voice, you can hmm. raise your funds. Hmm. But ultimately, at least what we can do and first and foremost, what we should do, as the Quran has said, the promise is given to those who will be pious. Mm, mm. The promise of the land will be given to those who are righteous. First and foremost, we need to make this point. So yes, it's important that we raise our voice. It's mm. important that these people that we've heard, they went to their protests. Mm. We had an event yesterday. Yeah. But it seems meaningless if we're not praying at the same time. Definitely. If we're going to the protests, mm. we're posting social media videos, but we're, not, we're neglecting our prayers, mm. we need to be really questioning what we're doing. But having said that, mm. Those events are still really important. We're actually going to listen to another attendee of one of the protests to see exactly what they felt and why they did it. So how do you think that we could achieve peace with this situation? End the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Like, simple. It's not, it's not their land. You cannot just go into someone's house and take it based on stories written in a book. That's utterly deplorable what's going on. There has to be a political situation that enables peace and resolution for this because decades, 75 years under occupation, 75 years of like slow, horrible murder, genocide and culminating now in this is absolutely inexcusable. And 
the people in, in the global north and the global south are now finding out about how deep the corruption goes and how Israel has been created uh, as a puppet state for the US and the UK to control the oil and gas trade through the Middle East because the US and the UK are terrified of the Middle East. And it's, oh, it makes me sick to my core. It makes me ashamed. Thank God that I'm not actually English. Yes, I was born here, but I don't have English blood. And I am, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what more I can personally do than put my feet on the streets and be in support of these people who are suffering. And I really, really, I hope and I pray every single day that something can be done, that the power of us being on the streets, of lobbying our governments, of emailing MPs every day saying, why are you allowing this to continue, that it is having some effect. I have to believe that. And uh, what's a message for the people in Gaza? I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry that it's taken this long for the world to notice what you're going through. And we're here and we see you and we are trying, we are trying to get our governments to notice and to pay attention to what the people want, which is for you to be safe and free in your homeland. Thank you so much. Honestly, I, I don't think, like mm. I said, sitting here, I, I would probably disastrously fail mm. to echo the emotions of these people. Definitely. Yeah. I just can't do it. Mm. You've heard yourselves what it is. I mean, when you played, place yourself in, in the position of, you know, people dying in Gaza, if if my sibling or my mother die in front of my eyes, definitely I would be devastating. devastating. Mm. And I think I the thing is, Israel not understanding this point that they are making more uh, terrorist. Well, I wouldn't you know, even call them that. Uh, I mean, the terrorist people, in, yeah, I mean, but in you're a, right. But you're right. In, yeah, because because what you're doing is you're just killing people randomly, and they have mm. nothing to do. No, you're and then absolutely they, uh, right. And uh, their whole life, they're gonna think about that, and they're gonna yeah. they're gonna be one target of them. Come on, destroying. If, if, if you mm. as a child grow up mm. knowing mm. that an army kills your mother and father mm. when they were innocent civilians, mm. you are gonna be angry. We don't want we don't want a society like this, by the way. We don't mm. want this Nick Fanax society. Definitely. Let, let me get mm. you back. Let me get you mm. back. Right. The Quran, also, of course, doesn't mm. doesn't support this. It says mm. that, that that forgiveness is better. Islah mm. is better. But Definitely. this is a whole other topic. Mm. And of course, inshallah, we'll come to that. We're gonna obviously carry on with this. And mm. I, I I don't want this whole topic to be about mm. doom and gloom. Let me be honest with you. Mm. It, we need to still have hope in this society, Definitely. and we need to, as Muslims, look back at history as well. Mm. We know that right now, innocent kids, everyone's watching it. You, you watch a video, you, you see a child being decapitated. Mm. You see a mother crying and wailing for their lost child, mm. right? I've got kids, people mm. have kids, people have family, and you assimilate that when you come home, you feel it. Mm. And it's undescribable. What can we see? We know that this has happened before. Fir'aun... Mm who was uh, the person who was in the time of Musa alayhi salam mm-hmm. knew that a prophecy was there mm. that a child would be born who would bring righteousness and put an end to idolatry yeah. and fer- the pharaoh was afraid of this mm. so what did he do? he knew that whoever this person will be is going to be born from the young, young, the young boys yeah. so he started killing all of the children pharaoh started killing all of the young boys in and around Egypt and this was his plan. He planned. But what did we forget? Allah plans better. <laughs> Do you think that God wasn't watching him? <laughs> that Pharaoh was just getting away with it? Even the people at that time must have felt helpless. That this man, Pharaoh is killing our kids. We, do, we can't do anything about it. <laughs> what do we do? 
We can't protest. We can't fight back. We're too weak. But they had faith in Allah. Hmm. And what happened is that Pharaoh forgot to kill a certain place. Hmm. He forgot to kill the kids in his own house. Hmm. And the person that uprooted him, who became Musa alayhi salam, the prophet of God, grew up in his own house, house right before his eyes. So God plans. We just need to trust Allah. in Allah His plan. Allah. Of course, hmm. makaru wa makarullah. Wallahu khairul makirin. So Allah is there, provided that we are righteous and we pray to Him and beseech Him. So there is always hope, and we are patient and we have faith in the fact that those children and innocents that passed away hmm. are with Allah and they have received their martyrdom. But those who have oppressed must never forget that they will be called out sooner or later. Hmm. And this is something that as Muslims we have patience on. And more hope is on the way Because yeah. recently I've been seeing mm. on social media um, People singing songs People singing chants mm. uh, Especially in Iran You can go and check this out online yeah, by Lebanon, the way yeah. a, a Small kids And, and small Lebanon yeah. Salam ya Mahdi Ya Sadiq al-Wa'adi Mata ya Sayyidi And they're chanting That Oh Mahdi Oh Saviour where, when will you fulfill your promise of arrival? When will you come and save us? Mm. And Imran, this is a profound because we're talking about two-state solution. Mm. Some people are going as far to say forget two-state solution, mm. fallout war. Okay, but is there another solution out there? Mm. Because these people that we've just spoken about who are chanting this are calling for some kind of, I don't know, superhero saviour <laughs> to come with his cape mm. and save the Muslims and the rest of the world from what's happening right now. Is this literally what I said it is? Is it some kind of fairy tale? Or is there some truth behind this? I mean, if you, the, their videos are going, you know, viral on social media about these kids, you know, Salam Ya Mahdi. And actually what they're referring is about the prophecy of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. That in the later days, they're going to be a Messiah. Mahdi, a guided person from Allah the Almighty who will revive the teaching of Islam and restore the faith and also establish peace into the society. Now, if you look towards the history, the concept of promised Messiah holds significant importance in various religion, religious traditions, particularly in Judaism, Christianity and Islam. In Judaism, the belief in the future Messiah is is fundamental. The coming of the Messiah is seen as the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant with the Jewish people. The Messiah is expected to restore the Davidic kingdom and bringing back peace to the world. And if we talk about the Christian, the advent of the promised Messiah is central to their faith as well. Uh, hmm. It is said to be that uh, Jesus Christ is believed to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament wow. uh, Messianic prophecy. Okay. And when talking about Islam, hmm. uh, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, you will find numerous prophecies in, in the Ahadith, in the books of the Ahadith, that the, when, uh, in the later days when Islam will be devoid of guidance, they're going to be a particular person from my lineage or from, uh, wow. or from, from you know, in, in a spiritual way, uh, he will restore the faith uh -huh. and through his teaching, he will establish peace wow. and uh, okay. harmony in the world. This yeah. is really interesting. You have actually prophecies. <laughs> in biblical Torahic Quranic scriptures mm -hmm. talking about a saviour hmm. and uh, by the way this is a live show 0208-687-7878 is the number to call we want to know uh, if you profess a religion or profess a faith do you have a concept of a saviour mm -hmm. what is he going to come and do how is he going to resolve this situation according to your viewpoint is it even possible saviour 
We want to know zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or tweet to us mm-hmm. at Voice of Islam UK and also on Instagram as well. Let us know what is the viable solution to the current situation. And Imran, you've spoken about this Messiah concept, mm-hmm. this Mahdi concept. You know what? Let's mm-hmm. let's, let's let's open this up a little bit mm-hmm. because you have the general Muslim populace within the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah mm-hmm. who believe that the Messiah will come to kill the Antichrist or to battle the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. What do we know about the Antichrist? We know a lot of things about it. We mm-hmm. know that it's going to be some kind of deviant, deceptive force that is going to be, according to many narrations, be accompanied by 700 or 70,000 Jews. Obviously not actual Jews that believe in God, but mm-hmm. this Zionist kind of straight mm-hmm. ideology. Definitely. And this is, this is one mm-hmm. thing that's mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's mentioned that they will have, it's interestingly mentioned, mm-hmm. that this kind of Antichrist will have... Um, weapons of fire that it will fire into the sky and we can assimilate that to the modern day missiles for Definitely, example etc yeah. etc et mm. and the list goes on mm. there are a group of Muslims like I said the Ahlul Sunnah who believe that the job of the, the Messiah will be to come and battle this and the job of the Mahdi who is a separate entity mm. will be to come and unite the Muslims and take them forward in a battle a literal Armageddon battle good versus evil this is also a belief yes so there are those who adhere to the belief mm. that this will have to be a war. Mm. There are literally Muslims out there that believe there is no other way about it. When an oppressor is an oppressor, mm. they need to be taken out if they don't want to listen. Mm-hmm. You also then have at the same time, for example, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Mm. Actually, let's not go to them yet. You even have the Ahlul Tashayyu, yeah. yeah, who believe in an imam, an imam ghaib. Imam ghaib. He's a hidden imam yeah. somewhere in the world right now. He will resurface at a certain point and also save the Muslims in whatever way is required. But we know we do also have the concept of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is quite different to, yes. to both of them. The Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, you have the Ahlul Tashayyu, and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community have also a belief about the Messiah and the Mahdi. And we actually got a, a guest right now uh, who is an Imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to find out a little bit more about their concept of Salam Ya Mahdi, Ya Sadiq Al Wa'adi. Who yeah. is this person and what are they going to do? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Peace be upon you. Um, Welcome to the show, Imam. Can you tell us a little bit about exactly what the concept is of the Messiah, the Mahdi, uh, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community? for having me. It's a pleasure sure. to be here. Thank you very much, Anas. And uh, I would, uh, well, first of all, I would like to start off saying that <clears throat> the concept of the Imam Mahdi and the promised Messiah in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is uh, you know uh, one that is rooted in Islamic theology, and mm-hmm. is completely according to what the teachings of Islam are and the uh, teaching, the sayings of the Holy Prophet, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So, the Holy Quran states uh, the, regarding the you know the advent of the Messiah al Islam. It, it, it like the, the prophecies of the uh, the Quran prophesizes mm-hmm. that you know uh, a reformer will come in the latter days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the the Holy Prophet sallam, also uh, you know in his various sayings uh, states that uh, that in the latter days uh, someone will come. I was uh, listening to your show and uh, you know uh, Imran Sahib was uh, say, you know mentioning that uh, a person will come from his age mm-hmm. and that is actually you know what uh, one of the most uh, one basics the you know the uh, foundational. Aspect Aspects of what the Ahmadiyya is based on, uh, the Holy Prophet, maybe some blessings of Allah be upon him, said 
لو كان الايمان مؤلق عند الصبيه لناله رجل او رجال من هؤلاء and was saying this the, the translation this is that if the faith was to go up to the pleiades mm-hmm. so uh, like that is to say metaphorically saying that if you know if the faith about uh, was you know completely leaves um our, uh, and you know strays far away from its original teachings uh, a man or, a, or some men will come from the the lineage of this person and whilst he was saying this he put his hands on the shoulder of Hazrat Salman uh, the Persian uh, mm-hmm. pleased with him. so this shows that you know the uh, his appointment uh, his people the poor the people of Hazrat Salman Farsi Hazrat Salman the Persian may Allah be pleased with him uh, that is the Persian people they will be uh, someone will come from uh, of uh, Persian lineage mm-hmm. Persian heritage and this person will be instrumental in bringing a revolution a uh, you know a renaissance if you will in uh, its Islam to bring back Islam back to its original teachings and that uh, i would say in a nutshell actually is the, you know the uh, the theory and the theology of the muslim jamaat is with regards to the uh, promised messiah and imam of the latter days great uh, imam anas um, as we're talking about in the uh, you know um, current issue palestine israel and also um, as ahmadi muslim community believe that hazrat uh, mirza ghulam ahmad of qadian he's a messiah and a promised messiah um, uh, when talking about this issue what are the main challenges ch- challenges uh, facing the muslim community today what are the challenges i think it is a very sensitive and a very you know it's a very topic that you uh, you know you've touched upon today the muslim ummah that we see today is in is in uh, in dire straits mm-hmm. the, the the there is so much division there's so much conflict and to you know to see this in a community in a in an ummah that prof, uh, you know that professes unity and uh, you know togetherness above all it, this is nothing less of a tragedy you know tragedy is something that's you know where something that is not meant to be happening is actually happening they, this is nothing short of a tragedy I'll be honest mm-hmm. so the the you know again amidst this drop of you know this constant infighting and uh, you know you mentioned the Arab Israeli conflict and you know how the the uh, the muslims and the palestinians in uh, gaza especially and the west bank the palestinians you know how they're being substituted such a day uh, you know onslaught of uh, aggression and you know how they are being put through hell mm-hmm. a literal hell on earth mm-hmm. and amidst this backdrop of of all this uh, conflict and violence the muslim countries the arab countries and the muslim countries in general they they've uh, you know they've uh, actually failed to mobilize uh, a response uh, in, in such a man i so in the, like this situation is a, is actually epitome of mm. the end time because it's shown that the muslims which are meant to be a family we, who we look after each other who you know who uh, who feel pain when our brothers and sisters are in pain it that's if that was meant to happen that is not happening right now because obviously we are seeing the muslim countries are seeing the uh, the the conflict and violence in palestine mm-hmm. but they're not mobilizing they're not, uh, they're not uh, they've frozen in their tracks mm-hmm. so and there is so much that they can do but they're not doing it so yes you're right this is uh, the times that we are living through it is absolutely diabolical that you know the muslim ummah is uh, failing to uh, mobilize and uh, to unite against a foreign enemy which is actually breaking our ranks 
you see the you know the, the Abraham right. Accords happened the two three months ago, yeah, uh, years ago, and they like they uh, the, the, some Arab states are normally in the ties with Israel. So I think all of the, this forms a part of that. Yeah, like we've already actually spoken in the past, vested interest plays a huge part in this. But we are talking about the concepts of a Mahdi, a Messiah. And at the moment, you know, just I think last week, I was looking on socials and uh, there is a hadith narrated by Nuaim bin Hamad. Um, although it be be a controversial hadith, but uh, part of the Ahmadiyya theology also narrates this at certain points, which is that... <clears throat> that if you see the black flags coming from Khurasan, hmm. then join the army because that is the army of the Mahdi. And there, there are people out there who are suggesting that, you know, Khurasan lands between Iran and Afghanistan. So you've got Taliban, you've got Hezbollah, <laughs> you've got you've got Iran's forces. If they ever, hmm. if they ever stood up with their black flags and, you know, there was a picture going around of, of, of Iran raising a black flag on their <laughs> mosques and you know, they were hyping it up. Like, hmm. This is the time. Of course, nothing really happened. Hmm. So th- there are, hmm. what I'm trying to get to, that there is a lot of literature out there which points to different signs about who the Mahdi will be what, what he, we, will he look like what will his mm. job be and the Messiah likewise what are some of those signs that within the Ahmadiyya theology you understand you accept um, the Messiah will have to be uh, bringing with him the Mahdi will have to be of a certain nature and exactly what he would do because we I mean as far as the Muslims understand it I think is that one of the most important things that Mahdi would do is of course unite the Muslims and that is one of the biggest questions right now that they feel to do that but within your theology what exactly are some of the signs we've we've talked about the black flag Mm -hmm. and others but there are so many more yes so uh, I'll start off with the whole Quran, which is you know the basic uh, you know the the book the Holy Book of Muslims which all Muslims believe in and uh, it says in Surah Al-Qiyamah, uh, starting from verse 7, فَإِذَا بَارِقَ الْبَصَرَ وَخَصَفَ الْكَمَرَ وَجُمِعَ الشَّمْسُ وَالْكَمَرَ These verses of the Holy Quran are stating that uh, they're prophesizing a time uh, when the sun and moon will be eclipsed. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in, uh, in, in, you know, in aid of this or in relation to this, there is a, a hadith, a saying of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he states that, you know, uh, the 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 Mahdi that is to come, there will be there will be two signs for him, and then uh, the you know the hadith it details how the you know the, the sun and moon will be eclipsed mm-hmm. in that uh, in in those signs. It's it says Inna Mahdi na ayatain lam that for our Mahdi that there will be two signs. That have never appeared before mm-hmm. uh, since you know the creation of the heavens and the earth, and then it says that the moon will be eclipsed on the first of its nights in Ramadan, mm-hmm. and that the sun will be eclipsed in the middle of its nights of eclipses, and then at the end it says that these two signs have not appeared since God created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. So this is the prophecy that from the Quran and the Hadith uh, regarding the what the Mahdi uh, when the Mahdi appears that these signs will happen in his truthfulness. Right. So what happened when the promised uh, Messiah Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian alayhi salatu wasalam, when uh, at his advent what happened? Mm-hmm. So. And the, uh, so the, f- the first heavenly sign, including uh, in, uh, occurred during the month of Ramzan okay. in April 1894, when mm-hmm. he had already declared that he was the Mahdi Maud. There was an eclipse of the moon, uh, according to the hadith, uh, the hadith, on the first of the three possible nights. That was the 13th of Ramzan in 1311 Hijra, which corresponded to the 21st of March 1894. Mm-hmm. And there was an eclipse mm-hmm. of the sun. 
on the middle day of the mm-hmm. three possible days, which happened to be on the 28th of Ramzan, 1311, which corresponded to the 6th of April, 1894. But this was not the, uh, this is not where it ended, <laughs> because it, it, uh, this sign, you know, to reinforce the fact that, the, you know, this is the promised Messiah has arrived, and the heavens and the earth are prophesying to the advent of the, uh, the promised Messiah. <laughs> this same sign happened not only once, but twice. Once in the Eastern Hemisphere, and the second time in the Western Hemisphere. So the whole world was witness to this. And, you know, saying this, it reminds me of a couplet of the the promised Messiah. It's, uh, the couplet goes, Isma'u sawta sama'i ja'al masih wa ja'al masih, niz bishnu azami, ahmad imam ikamgar. That is, you know, hearken to the calling of the the skies. The Messiah has come, the Messiah has come. Mm. And then, lend an ear to the earth as it welcomes the imam of the age. Okay. So that is a very powerful statement that you've mentioned there. Of, 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 one of the powerful signs of who the Messiah will be and what he will look like when he will come and kind of what he will do mm. as well. Thank you very much, very much Imam Anas, for coming on and presenting your views as the imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And we hope to speak to you again sometime soon. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Inshallah. That was uh, Imam Anas Mahmood uh, bringing his viewpoint on mm. who the Messiah and the Mahdi will be. And I think one of the underlying points, it doesn't matter what sect, sect you kind of adhere to within the Muslim Ummah, one thing is absolutely unanimous. The Mahdi's focal point will be to unite the Ummah. He will lead everyone in prayer. That will be his first job. Mm-hmm. Everybody will pray behind him. And that's where we need to come to. What on earth are the steps that the Mahdi is actually going to achieve? He's just going to come mm-hmm. and then that's it. Hunky dory, <laughs> fix the problem. The Ummah must unite behind this individual. That's, mm. the first, that's the first step. If you can't do that, forget about step two. What is step two? Interpretations come in. Some people say that they, there will be a war, there will be a fighting. Will that battle be spiritual? Will, be, will, it, will it be a scholastic debate? Will it be physical de- mm. fi- fighting? We, we don't know yet mm. because we haven't even done first step one yet. <laughs> okay? That's why we don't yeah. know. Yeah. But even if we look at the theology of the Ahmadiyya Muslim mm. community, we know that one of the signs of the Messiah was the Yada'ul Harb, mm. that he would postpone fighting, fight, war. Yeah. That he, yeah. in, in his time, there wouldn't be any fighting that would take place. Physical, but yeah. mm. his successors, Hazrat Muslim, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has also mentioned mm. that there, there will be advents of Messiahs and Mahdi's in the future that will, become, will come with Jalal. Mm. What does that mean? They may also come carrying a sword if mm-hmm. the if the if it is needed. So, whether the situation will be resolved through dialogue, diplomacy, whether the situation will be resolved by raising your voices on your prayers, or whether it will be resolved by having to put in some kind of military response, we don't know. But time will tell, because we have not even achieved step one yet. Definitely. Step one yet is to first recognize this individual. And then unite behind him. Everyone pray behind him. And then we will see what happens and unfolds after that. So the first duty of the Muslim is is to do this and recognize whoever that individual may be. So, and of course, like Mm -hmm. we said, there are a lot of factions out there that feel like now is the time. In fact, if it isn't now, then never. Never. Now or never, right? And we know, like we said in the beginning, Mm -hmm. that Hazrat Mr. Tahirim Rahimahullah said that the Zionist movement will first try to take Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Then they will come to take Makkah and Medina. But what do we know from the Ahadith? It is said that when the Messiah comes, mm. the Masih al-Dajjal, the Antichrist, will wreak havoc in the earth, mm. but he will not, Never. or it will not be able to enter Makkah and Medina. This is a really important mm. point. 
What does this tell us? That there will come a time where this evil movement hmm. will also try and enter into Makkah and Medina. They will also try to find an excuse hmm. to defend itself <laughs> against Makkah and Medina. Hmm. It will try to find an excuse to bombard Makkah and Medina. Hmm. But Allah will not allow it. The interesting thing to note here is that this hadith did not say hmm. that the Antichrist will not enter Jerusalem. And we must think about this with a point of concern hmm. that this is where we are right now. Will it actually enter? And if it does enter, and let's say the, uh, the IDF or anyone tomorrow by mistake, quote unquote, hmm. or intentionally destroys Al-Quds, hmm. it's going to be dramatic because we know for one thing for sure that Muslims hold Jerusalem Al-Quds especially, uh, Makkah and Medina as sacred sites. Mm. Something that you cannot attack. Mm. Something that you cannot bombard. Yeah, yeah. If you do it, then you know, the oppressor knows what they are mm. calling for. Mm. So this is something that we know according to the hadith and the narrations and the statement of Khalifa Rabi rahimahullah. Perhaps the story has only begun. True. There is a lot before mm. to unfold. But like we said, the prophecies are there. The Mahdi and the Messiah will come and will not let them enter Makkah and Medina. How that will happen, time will tell if the Ummah unites. Definitely. I mean, I would say that, you know, um, you previously mentioned that, uh, you know, what are the signs of the, um, what are the signs of the, uh, you know, uh, of the true Messiah? And uh, in Hadith is very explicitly said that there are various signs of the true Mahdi. And uh, for example, it will be going to a dominance of Christianity. Uh, like the Jali, as you mentioned, and also it's going to be, you know, um, immorality will be prevailed. So they, this is the time, and this is the time of uh, of the Messiah to recognize. I think. Yeah. We're going to listen to one last audio of a protester to see exactly what they were doing. So what's brought you here today? This is the least I could do. I feel like helpless. I feel so sad, so depressed, so stressed, seeing like innocent people, let alone Muslim children, like being killed and nobody cares so at least we can at least at least we can just show that they're not alone we we, we with them we hear them and and we will will never give up until they have their freedom and hopefully this is sooner than later Palestine will always be for for Palestinian people and occupation will end and history tells us nobody can occupy somebody else's land forever the British Empire, where is it now? I mean, it had to be kicked out and Israel will end. And I feel it sooner than we even think. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is us, inshallah. And uh, what's a message for the people of Gaza that are going through this difficult time? What, what, what I do for them, uh, what I'm saying for them, what I pray for them, I do supplication, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give them stronger, give them have faith, don't give up and keep them like you know um, keep their heart stronger because unfortunately it sounds like everybody against them but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the greatest and who Allah is will never be defeated will never be weak will never be left alone Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was an interview of one of the protesters mm. and he's talking about the fact that he has faith that God will never leave alone the people that are oppressed in fact the Quran says that when God intends to destroy a nation, hmm. when God intends to destroy a nation, what does he do? He allows them to increase in their transgression and in their evil. Because of that, the, the, the rule and testimony hmm. of destruction falls upon them. And we can see 
that with the lack of ceasefire, mm. with the lack of remorse for the murder and beheading and decapitation of innocent children, mothers, fathers, mm. families, it doesn't seem like that they are lessening their transgression anytime soon. That's why we need to unite. Uh, all of the Muslim countries, they need to unite on the under the one banner. And we believe that this is the Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian. He states when, when uh, stating his uh, purpose, he states, the task for which God has appointed me is that I should remove the malice that afflicts the relationship between God and his creation and restore the relationship of love and security between them. Though the proclamation of truth and through the proclamation of truth and by putting an end to religious conflicts, I should bring about peace and manifest the divine verities that have become hidden from the eyes of the world. And I would say that this is the time when we should recognize the Imam of the age. And uh, I should encourage all of the listeners to learn to, to what they should learn more about the promised Messiah. There are numerous resources. You can go to alislam.org. Um, you can come to any, any Ahmadiyya mosque and uh, you can call us uh, in, a, in a live show. Uh, one last thing I would just want to say is, is in one of his couplets, he said, This was indeed the appointed time for none other than the Messiah. Had I not been appointed, someone else would surely have, appoint- have appeared. Of course, like you've just rightly said it, this is the time for the Messiah, the Mahdi, to appear. And if not now, <laughs> then, then when? So the question is, Muslims, stand out. Search deep within yourselves and pray to Allah. Who is it? Has the time come? And when you see that black flag being raised, mm. whether it's the black, wherever you see it mm. and however shape you see it, mm. you join it. Mm. And this is our duty as Muslims to really look for that now. And let's pray that inshallah everybody has the ability to do that once we are united as an ummah. Absolutely, we are powerful and we are coming to an end. But I remember, let me give you an example mm. of unity. There was once a time where a French magazine a long time ago wanted to uh, paint a, pro- a painting of the Prophet Muhammad peace be mm. upon him. Mm. The Ottoman Empire united and said, "Yeah, are you sure about that, mate?" Mm. And they never did it mm. because they were afraid. This is the power of Muslim unity. unity. Never forget it. With that, we're going to come to an end. We'll be back every single weekday for the Drive Time Show. Until then, Assalamualaikum warahmatullah and peace be upon you.